Welcome to Training Unleashed, the show that will help you design and deliver training that's off the chain and will make a difference. Now, here's your host, Evan Hackle. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Training Unleashed. We're going to have an absolutely fantastic episode today. And we're going to talk about, uh, with true expert, um, we're going to really talk about today is how to create culture working remotely. And re working remotely is certainly, you know, the, the rage at the moment. Um, but, you know, there's ways to really keep the culture alive, and that's what we're really going to spend time with. Our guest today is an expert. His name is David Deitch. Did I get that right, David? Yes, you did. Wow. Okay. I'm, I'm very dyslexic, so names are difficult. Uh, David, I got well, so from now on, it's going to be David. Not Excellent. And uh, his company is Leader Sites. And why don't we just quickly start with what is Leader Sites? What does that mean? Uh, Evan, I was driving down the road one day um, and just, uh, I, I'm a lean guy to begin with. So I've done a lot of studying the Toyota production system and um, all the Lean Six Sigma stuff I've been teaching for years and years and years. I'm like, yeah, I wanted people to be clear. He was talking about Lean Six Sigma, not he's a lean person because he is a lean person too. <laughs> no, I'm actually working on that too, but that's another story. <laughs> um, so I had to, uh, I was just hit with uh, uh, trying to, I was trying to, to encapsulate like the key insight from a uh, an intervention I had with a client. So uh, how can I have some cool lean insights? And that kind of meld melded into lean sites, uh, lean sites. And I was like, you know, that's, I do more with leadership anymore than with lean and would it work with leaders, leader sites. And um, so I started thinking about if I were going to encapsulate uh, the key insights for more effective leadership, what would they be? And so I encapsulated those things. I got four key things uh, and I call them leader sites and I built a I uh, titled the book behind around that, and I built a company name around that. So now I'm just trying to brand it a little bit better. Well, it's a cool, it's a cool name, and I I, I, I like the name. And um, and I, you know, I from my short conversation with you before, you're a very insightful person. And one of those things, and I and I want to bring this right up, even though we just talked about it, but I think it's important. Is you talked about the importance of not getting back to normal. Yeah, and I think everybody wants to get back to normal. So why don't you share everyone your insights on not getting back to normal? Well, and a lot of people are are concerned about the state of things now. And the natural way that we as humans talk about this is, oh, I just can't wait until things get back to normal. Um, but I, I think it's clear that uh, what we had before, normal, normal is gone. Uh, if we actually try to go back to something, we will be regressing. So we'll lose a lot of the things that we're actually gaining by being remote and learning new processes, learning new ways to connect and learning new ways to communicate. If we go back to normal, we're going to be worse off. So we need to be thinking right now, what are the things we can do to go back to better? So can we improve some processes while we're working remotely? Absolutely. Can we improve some relationships? Absolutely. Um, can we uh, solve problems? Absolutely. And can we find things that we want to do permanently going forward in this new kind of constrained environment that, that are actually going to work better for us? Um, so I'm, I'm pretty excited about the prospects of what companies and organizations are doing 
to get back to better instead of freezing up and getting back to normal. Yeah, it's, it's interesting in my conversations with friends and I, my company has been virtual for seven years and, you know, we love being virtual. Uh, yeah. We're very used to being virtual. Um, but so many companies are going, we had no idea. We had no idea that this actually is better and that we can actually work this way. Um, and um, I think it's a, it's a big re revelation and I totally agree with you. Uh, we should take the learnings and, 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 and move it forward. Yeah, I mean, think how many parents can can have better quality of life with their with their families if they can work remotely. Yeah, uh, and and we're proving now that people can be just as productive, if not more productive, uh, working remotely than being in the office. No, I think I think I think it's totally true. You know, one of the things that I think scares people, and why I was so anxious to have you on the show, is people's concern around how do you keep culture. You know, if we're all sort of working on our own, we're huddling, we're not, we're not bumping in, you know, on our walk to the bathroom or, you know, like, they, you know, talk about water fountain. I haven't seen yeah. a water fountain work in years, but, but <laughs> you know, that, you know, that casualness of meeting and bumping into people that are maybe even not in your department, it kind of all kinds of, you know, you're limited to who you're interacting with when you're working remotely. So, I mean, I'm just going to give the broader question is how do you create culture or keep culture or build culture uh, working remotely? Well, culture is, is the collective way that we get things done in any kind of organization. Um, so I, I think maybe the constraints of the office, where we were before, and the way leaders would lead in those kinds of environments, that set a kind of culture that is really not as effective as maybe we're getting now, because we actually have to think deliberately about how we're communicating with our people and how we're checking on them, making sure they have the support that they need to achieve the goals that we've given them. Um, so I think this conscious awareness of a communication is actually going to serve us better. Whether we go back to better or whether we go back to normal, what we learn now, if the leaders really do take it to heart about this deliberate face-to-face -face communication and deliberately trying to touch people that they can't just go around the corner and poke their head in their cubicle, um, I think it's going to serve them well. So what would be some of the ideas that you would share with our audience on how to, how to create and keep culture within an organization? Well, the first thing I always tell everybody is you got to huddle. You just, you just got to huddle. So, and, and to me, if you're working every day, you got to huddle every single day, every day you got to huddle on what, what does a huddle look like to you? Well, you get them on zoom, you get six folks or seven folks around uh, all the little pictures there. So you can make eye contact with everybody. Uh, and you spend seven to 10 minutes reviewing what happened yesterday, teeing up what's supposed to happen today asking if anybody needs any help with anything, celebrating a few good things, and giving a virtual high five to everybody and getting off the phone. So simple, quick, grounding, what we've accomplished, where we're going, what we're focusing on. Exactly. Now, the, the problem with that is if you don't have a plan for the work that you're supposed to accomplish today, what are you going to talk about in the huddle? Okay, so leaders have some homework they have to do. And a lot of these folks, you know, they got these big projects 
that people are working on and so, oh, we can meet once a month and we'll be fine. Well, you're doing work every day and you want to make progress every day. So how do we take that big scope project or that big scope problem that they're working on and break it down into something that says, okay, this week we need to be able to achieve this and here are the steps to get there. We ought to be able to do A, B, C, D, E and get those done day by day and we'll team up like that. So our plan for today is to complete step B. How far did we get yesterday? Do we have everything we need to get there today? Okay. So you, you talked about, and I, I can, you know, I can hear my listeners asking questions because uh, the people listening are primarily people in training that are passionate about training, etc. Six people, small group of people. Got a company. I got a thousand employees. Yeah. You can't How, handle with a thousand people. No, no, I know. <laughs> that's the question going through their heads. How do well, I that, apply this at scale? That's the thing they try to do that. Okay, so the, the leader of the thousand people, okay, so the guy who works for a thousand people or the girl who works for a thousand people, um, they have seven or eight direct reports. Yeah. That's who they huddle with. Okay, then those seven or eight direct reports, they huddle with their direct reports. And they huddle with their direct reports and, that, and it, it goes all the way through the organization until that first line supervisor is meeting with their small team. And it ought to be a small team or they're not working as effectively as they could. Uh, so so in, in, in essence, everyone except for the, the, the people, you know, at the lowest levels of the organization have two huddles a day and the people at the, at the lowest levels have one. Exactly. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. So how long have you been doing this? How long, you know, where did the idea come from? I have been helping teams be more effective since I was in the army. Okay. So I spent 20 years in the army, I retired in 2001 and everything we did there was in a team and it worked well. It worked great. It built some great identity, built some great character, built all kinds of things that we needed. And I've been trying to, to teach people how to do that in businesses because I mentioned before that I'd done a lot of study in about the Toyota production system. Okay. So I retired from the army, went to work at the university of Kentucky and we had a partnership with Toyota to do research into the Toyota production system. The headquarters was in the college of engineering and I'm not an engineer. Okay. So I get assigned to the college of engineer engineering when I get this job and they say, okay, here's your badge to Toyota, go and study what you think you need to study. Well, the engineers had all the technical stuff. So I got to study things like, teams. I got to study things like leadership development. I got to study things like quality circles and suggestion systems, all the human related things. And I got to see what Toyota did very well. And then as I was studying all the other stuff in an educational psychology program, uh, I, I could see it in the structure of the teams uh, and I could see what they weren't doing. And I've kind of developed these new lessons that I, I share with other folks that say, here's, here's a combination of these things that if you do these kinds of things, that should set the teams up to be more effective, stronger identity, more meaningfulness, and therefore higher satisfaction for all the workers. So let's, let's get a little deeper into what are some of the other best practices would you suggest? And then what are some of the pitfalls? One of the most important things is when we're, when we're in that huddle, uh, we're going to identify problems. And if you try to solve the problem in the regular huddle, you blow your day. Okay, so the huddle yep. goes long and everything else. So, so leaders have to create space and time to allow people to get together to solve those problems. So where you mentioned that 
you might have an opening huddle for everybody at the beginning of the day. Uh, and that for the, for the uh, frontline workers, the folks who are creating the most value down there, um, most of them, that'll be their only meeting for the day unless they are asked to help solve a problem. And then they should also have a problem solving huddle sometime during the day. Um, just to focus on here's the problem we said we had, what's causing it, give us a couple of creative ideas and let's see if we can't solve that problem. So, so have a, have a, a regular team huddle that talks about all the important things for the team yesterday, today, get set, go, um, and have a problem solving huddle to address anything that came up in that, uh, initial huddle. Um, then, uh, one of the key things that I, I teach leaders is they have to be present. Um, so we teach usually, Hey, you got to go out and, uh, I'm a, I'm a big advocate of, of management by walking around, right? Sure. Only, only we tweak it a little bit in the, in the lean world. We've tweaked it a little bit. So, so that there's a, a focus for what the leader is supposed to do. So you don't just wander aimlessly around. You can wander around. You can have a, a look at how the system's performing. You can have a look at how the process is performing. You can have a look at how a particular problem is being solved. So, but, but the, the deal is leaders have to go out and interact with everybody on their team frequently. This is where that leader of the thousand can have an impact all the way through the organization by choosing a team to go and visit virtually and then going, spending a little time with that leader one-on-one. -on -one. And if the, the, um, if you want to meet with that whole team, all you got to do is build that into the schedule and you can do that. And the, the leaders, the senior leaders ought to be doing that with people all day long. You think about it virtually, you could touch and reach so many more people than walking around. And I think it's a bigger business. Important... You can't get to everybody. You're not, That's right. not even in the same building as everyone. Well, and I think this is one of those practices that I mentioned is, is going to be, it's going to serve us well when the quarantine lifts and we can go back to work. I think this is still going to be a practice that leaders are going to really want to employ. Let's continue to touch base with these folks. Let's just really reach out and build relationships with folks eyeball to eyeball. So I can actually see you. So it's not just another bodiless voice on a conference call in the conference room. Interested in Tortle's learning management system? Why not try it for free today? Tortle is offering a free LMS for up to 25 users. With Tortle's easy-to-use self-authoring tool and free quick start guide, you'll have courses up in no time. Sign up today and you'll experience one of the easiest-to-use LMSs in the marketplace today. To learn more, visit tortle.com forward slash LMS. You know, one of the, the things, David, and I'm going to get to my pitfall question in a second, because sometimes knowing what to not do is as important as knowing what to do. But, you know, one of the things that I've heard from people pre is accountability in virtual work teams. And how do you ensure that people are really working and uh, not do it in a way that makes them feel like, uh, you know, your big brother watching them? Or you're micromanaging, right? Yeah, or you're micromanaging. Yeah, that is that is the, that is kind of a, a fine line for um, for leaders to be careful of. So, the way I coach is, um, you can go out and you can have a huddle and you can touch base with folks, uh, and you can ask all the questions that you want, but don't ever tell anybody how to do something. 
Uh, that's one of the biggest problems that I see with leaders is they want to solve every problem. So somebody's like griping about something, there's something wrong with the system. And, and the leader says, well, oh, just do this. And then it's like, oh my God, the boss wants this done. Shut everything else down. Let's make that work. Even if it's the dumbest thing ever and it doesn't make any sense because the boss said it, we still want to do it. So I tell bosses not to do that. Ask questions. If you have a brilliant idea, ask more questions and see if they can have your brilliant idea so they can work it hard because if it's your idea, they're only going to work it until it works. Does it? You know, it's, it's, interesting. Their work. it's interesting you say this because I totally agree with you. And one of the paradigms that people don't understand is a lot of leaders think, you know what, if it's a small little thing and I see it, I should fix it. And what they don't understand is they're undermining the entire structure of organization because Absolutely. you're saying to the manager of that person, you don't trust them when you fix a little thing. If it's a big issue, they expect management to get involved. It's the little stuff where management gets involved in the little stuff that says, I'm micromanaging and I don't trust this manager so much so I'm going to correct you as opposed to talking to their manager and saying, hey, here's what I found or, 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 or something, something of that nature. Exactly. Um, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity for leaders to develop people. Yeah. Um, in real time, when people are experiencing a problem, if you can ask questions and coach them through that, you're going to build such a much more effective relationship with them than if you just said, Hey, do this. And the chances of you being right are pretty slim in the broad scheme of things because oh, of the complexity totally of the organizations. Uh, it's just too hard to know everything. But yeah, as soon as you say, we're going to do this, what you're also doing is undermining a culture of engagement. So now you're building and reinforcing a culture of compliance. So people have a problem again, they'll say, well, crap, I better not do anything because, you know, last time the boss wanted this happen to happen. And, and now I'm just going to either not tell them I got this problem or I'm going to wait until they come back around and not do anything until they tell me it's okay to do it. Yeah. And that is just a, um, that is a great way for an organization to lose any kind of competitive edge it may have. Okay. So let's talk about pitfalls. What are the, you know, we just described one. You actually, I should say that you did. You just said, talk to people, ask questions if you're in management, but don't, don't answer questions, evoke, help them ask questions that might help them solve their own. But so that's one pitfall. What are some other pitfalls? Well, um, I, I think one of the, the largest pitfalls is just being able to, to get to everyone and, and touch everyone. And in, in most organizations, the actual work structure is such that they don't have that, that small team mentality. Okay. So I've got the, the person at the top, and they've got direct reports, but they don't feel like the direct reports aren't really a team. Each one of those is maybe a silo in the organization. They're responsible for their things. Therefore, we don't work together. And, and that's just the wrong attitude. So we've got to get these, these executive teams to actually behave as a team because the organization should have common goals. And that team should represent a lot of diversity of thought and a lot of diversity of experience. So if they're not functioning as a team, how can we expect any team in the organization to function properly? So at the, at the head of every department, every division, every unit, um, the leader has to create a team with the people that they're working with. And, and the main reason behind that is for succession. Um, but you know, David, you're an interesting guy because you're super positive. 
So I asked you for pitfalls and you're describing not pitfalls, you're describing positive solutions to problems. So the pitfall is not taking the time to build teams and enabling silos, right? Well, the pitfall is they don't recognize that there's a team that could be created there. I get it. That makes sense. I like okay. it. So I'll, I'll try to, I'll try to, let me see if I can think of another one. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's good that you're positive. I like, I like that. The thing I, yeah, I don't, um, I don't worry too much about pitfalls. I want to be able to see problems, right? So yeah. we want to create these work structures in the organization that allow problems to pop up very quickly. Um, and that's a terrifying thing in an organization with a culture that blames people who are closest to the problem, which is another pitfall. Somebody has a problem. It's your problem. It's your fault. And the tendency is for us to say, well, okay, I don't, I screwed something up, but I'm not telling anybody about it because I'm going to get in trouble. Yeah. Big pitfall. So we've got to be able to make problems treasures, right? It's great when you point out a problem because now we can see it. Now we can do something about it. Even if you screwed something up, we got to figure out how you were able to screw that up and where the system failed you to allow you to make that mistake. So David, I, I'm just going to take a second here and highlight what you said, because I think of everything you said, this is the single most important thing. Not that everything else hasn't been valuable, but creating a culture where people feel very comfortable sharing issues and problems rather than hiding them, rather than blaming someone else is one of the major issues that companies have. And it's that cultural shift to, we found a problem, let's celebrate because this is an opportunity to get better is I think incredibly important. Um, and it's, it's difficult because it takes every leader to reinforce that. And it actually goes back to your first comment about not looking at the change in the world as going back to the new normal, but looking at it as an opportunity to now take what we've learned by dealing with this issue to bring and make the workplace better. Exactly. Yeah. So let, let's, let's shift now to time management and work structure. How does a work day differ for someone working from home versus working in the office? Let's see. I think the most significant difference is that when you're working from home, you have an opportunity to balance your life a little bit better. So maybe I'm not that productive from 11 to three. Okay. Okay. So I'm just not going to work from 11 to three. I'm going to go and I'm going to serve lunch with the kids. I'm going to go out and play ball for a little bit. I'm going to take a little nap, but then I might come back and I'm going to work from three until 9 PM. And I'm not counting every little hour that everybody's working. What I'm concerned with are the results. Have I established a goal that everybody agrees is a reasonable goal and measures effectively the things that we want to get done? Do I have a way to keep track of that? Does every individual know how much they've been able to accomplish in the day? Because one of the things we run into is we get these big long to-do lists and I'll work my tail off all day long and at the end of the day, I'm like, holy crap, I didn't get anything done. So how do we keep track of getting those things done? Um, so a lot of this is gonna be in building a measurement system that works for people. And one of the biggest challenges or problems with 
measurement systems is, is we tend to measure things that don't matter to the people who are doing the work. So we're measuring things that are financial or we're measuring things that uh, are sales related or something else or, or things that people don't have direct control over. Uh, and when they don't hit their mark and they don't show up green on the chart, everybody goes crazy and it's like, I don't want any red on the chart. So we're back to that compliance mentality and hiding those problems. You know, I, I like what you said, because if you try to make home match work, then you have defeated the benefit of people working from home, the retention, the extra satisfaction. Absolutely. You know, I was speaking to someone today. We have a, a regularly scheduled Tuesday at 11 meeting. And she was explaining to me, her kids are home now. And at school, they had lunch at 11. So their kids are always hungry at 11. And, and I'm going, Janet, we can schedule this meeting whenever you want. Yeah. If you want a break and take lunch with your kids at 11, do it. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, and, you know because this, this is, you know, a special time. You know, I don't think that people are going to have their kids around the cl clock all year no. long in the future. But, but um, you know, embrace that and allow people to have that work-life balance and, and let people, you know, my company is totally virtual and uh, an employee that uh, no longer because their life has changed but had kids they wanted to pick up their kids after school. So yes. we knew from three to four every day that person wasn't reachable, but they were doing something that was really important to them. But that person was reachable from five to six. And, you know, that person was very accountable and, and a super overachiever. Um, so embrace, embracing the balance, I think, is, is, really, is really critical. You know, Evan, this is, this is not a new idea. Um, I read a book uh, called Work Sucks. <laughs> um, and it was by uh, a couple of uh, folks in HR for uh, Best Buy. And they, uh, they had created this organization called the, um, the Results Only Work Environment, a row. And they said, you don't have to come in except for very specific meetings when we want you to come in or we're meeting with a particular customer coming in or something like that. Um, you can do everything you need to do from home. Um, and we're not keeping time. We're only measuring the results. Uh, but again, we, if we're going to, create that kind of work environment that gives that people that freedom and flexibility that requires leaders to first have empathy with those uh, constraints that people have at home. Uh, but it also requires those leaders to be much more effective at planning. And a lot of leaders suck at planning. So my coaching to them is you don't feel like you have to make every freaking decision. Okay. You can ask for help. How would you break down this workload? Jim, how would you break down this work, Carol? Whatever, ask people for help. Well, not only that, you know, it's if they think of their own solution, they own it. If you think yes. of their solution, you own it. You yes. Know, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's very important. I just quickly share with you. I had a cousin that worked uh, many years ago for Xerox in their in their lab, their think tank. He had one meeting a year, one. And he, the, year, the meaning of the year was to say, this is the project, this is what I'm going to work on. And then no requirement to be in the lab, could work all from home, could travel the world and work, or could be in the lab. Yeah. Uh, and many times he said, I'd be in the lab from 11 at night till 7 in the morning because I wanted to be there when no one else was there. 
and once a year he would report on what he learned. And of course that lab, which, you know, developed the icons and what, you know, we know as Windows or Apple and developed the mouse and developed all this kind of stuff, were developed with people that just had really cool ideas that were given time to work on them. Yeah. And they weren't micromanaged. They were definitely not micromanaged. But they were also not abandoned. Yes. Okay. So, and a lot of a lot of empowerment turns into abandonment pretty quickly. So it's up to that leader to go back in and check, but not to check that you're getting everything done. Is to check that you have all the resources that you need to succeed. And if you don't, I can provide the resources, but I need to know what you need. Um, so, David, we are, we are running out of time. It's been very yes, enjoyable. I understand you have an offer for everybody, and we'd love to hear your offer. I do. I've written two books. Uh, the first book was uh, called The C4 Process, Four Vital Steps to Better Work, and it is about problem solving. It is a four-step scientific-based problem-solving methodology based on Plan, Do, Check, Act. It's been around for a while, but I've just kind of twi twisted it a little bit uh, so that's easier to teach and easier to understand. And I am, I'm giving the book away and I've got a card and an A3 that work to both gain better employee engagement and to keep track of what you've done on any kind of problem. And that's all free to download from my website, which is uh, davidveach.com. Uh, there's a button on there that says free downloads. Click on that. I do ask for a little bit of information, uh, but I promise not to spam anybody. But uh, no, That's the main sorry. offer. So, so it is a great offer and I love it when people give books and tools. I mean, they're, they're fantastic. Um, for a lot of people that they're, they're going to be able to see a link or read this in the description. Some people, however, won't. So uh, beach is spelled V E E C H. So it's David. Yep. Beach, uh, v is in Victor. I got to make, make sure everybody knows it's yeah. a, a V is in Victor, not, not, not a B. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's a, that's a very important, very important distinction. Um, David, before I ask you, you know, your one, your one tip, um, just, uh, you know, some people listening might say, you know what, uh, maybe engaging uh, David's a good idea, given what's going on and given this is sort of your expertise. What type of work do you do? What, what type of people would hire you? Well, I primarily work for organizations who want to do more focused leadership development and team development for those executive teams and for those management teams. Uh, I have, um, workshops and exercises and a fantastic simulation that really replicates the problems that organizations have in their workplace. Uh, and I do these in two, three and four day kind of chunks. Uh, and then I also do follow up uh, executive coaching for those who want a little bit more personalized attention. Do you do virtual? Can you do these things virtually? Uh, I can do everything except the simulation virtual. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. You know, it's, it's interesting because I, I do three or four of these podcasts a month. Pretty rare I do two in the same day, but sometimes I do. And I did one today uh, with um, a person from Franklin Covey, and it's the 30th anniversary of the seven habits. And, yeah. and habit seven is the saw, which is sharpen, you know, sharpen your act, work on your skills, et cetera. And I do think that during this time, while there's this transition is going, and many companies are investing in keeping their best people and et cetera, it's an opportunity to work on professional development. It's an opportunity to work on the team becoming better and particularly being able to do that as the world shifts to having a lot more people working at home. And I mean, look at, I think 
I can speak for everybody that no one wishes to be stuck at home. Yeah. Um, maybe there's one really bizarre person, but any, any, anyhow, um, but we don't know how long it's going to last. And even after it, it's over out of choice, I think we're going to see a lot more people working from home. So somebody that understands leadership and understands the virtual environment like you do, I think, you know, if, if people are interested, they should contact you. Now I'm going to get back to, hear to from them. <laughs> I would love to hear from them. Oh, excellent. And your tip, your one, if you had one tip to share with people. I got one tip to share with you both virtually and remotely and when you return to better uh, to work together. Uh, every one of your teams, you ought to have a fun team name. The, the power of identity uh, towards satisfaction at work is incredible. And if you can give somebody some place that is special for them, where they belong, where they fit in, where they're listened to, where they're respected, where they're challenged, and where they're supported, uh, nothing stands up to that. So as silly as it sounds, the team name is a powerful, powerful tool for making teams feel like they're really teams. I love it. Not what I was expecting, but fantastic tip. It is because you want people, people want to have an identity and you want to make it fun. And, and, and I think it particularly right now to look at what's happening with the most positive, you know, what are the, what's the good that can come, you know, how do we make this more fun? How do you know, and, and having team names would be great. I love the tip. Uh, David, I want to thank you as a guest. I want to thank our listeners for taking the time to listen. Everyone have a great day. Thanks. This has been Training Unleashed, but it doesn't stop here. Just go to trainingunleashed.net to subscribe to the show. That way, you'll never miss an episode, and you'll be well on your way to delivering training programs that are off the chain. We'll talk to you next time on Training Unleashed. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.